a rock with a simple question. Could you, in the story at the temple, throw a rock at the woman being judged by the church leaders? It's a right, wrong question. It's a black, white answer. It's a, did you make the shot? I don't care how good of a pastor you are, dribbler you are, baller you are. Could you throw the rock? And then we left it. Hey, if you can't throw the rock, if you can't say I'm sinless, sin has a cost. Whether you meant to, whether you didn't, something has to happen. And Paul said it simply like, hey, the wages of sin is death. And that's where we ended. So the question that we have to answer today is, what are our realistic options? What is the realistic plan? Is it that we are just doomed to die? Or is there another possibility out there that could be so profound, so life-altering that you can choose it? But to get there, you have to jump into the narrative of John. And so I'm gonna go through a whole lot of scriptures and I want you to hang with me. And I'm gonna tell the most fascinating part of the story of John. You see, where we pick it up, Jesus had already started doing miracles and people were leaning in and they're like, there's something to this guy. He made the lame walk. He made the dumb speak, the blind see. He multiplied food. The people followed to be fed. Then John 11, he does something so earth shattering. It pours gas on the fire that the tension of the temple leaders, the anger of the temple leaders just flares up and it's where the two sides come to fight. You see, Jesus goes to his friend's Lazarus grave for a funeral. Four days, Lazarus was in the grave. While everyone is standing outside mourning, Jesus simply calls into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. Commands the people to roll away the stone and out walks a dead man. And people's minds are blown. And that cements it for people. This dude is who he says he is. And that cements it for the religious leaders. And there's a fascinating sentence that is uttered in John by a high priest. He simply says, it is better for one man to die for the sake of all the people. And that is where the plot to kill Jesus started to intensify. It was so intense that Jesus and his disciples went into hiding until the Passover. And at the Passover, Jesus knew it was his time to fulfill his calling, his purpose on earth. And so he charges into the Passover or into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, riding a donkey and people gather, his followers are like, there he is. And they wave palm branches and they lay down coats, treat him like a king. Hosanna, Hosanna, they cried. And he goes to a borrowed room to have one last meal with his disciples. They don't know it's the last time they'll talk, but he does. And that's where he gives them a couple of instructions, some things that they need to know because it's his deathbed speech to his disciples. He's telling them the most important pieces of the puzzle, what to do without him, what's next. But they're not really listening or paying attention. They're confused. They don't have no idea that this is the last time they're gonna hear from their Lord and their Savior the guy they went all in with. He declares his friend's gonna betray him. He runs out of the room, Judas Iscariot. 
And he gets up from the dinner. He says, my time has now come. And he marches him and the 11 remaining friends into the garden to pray, to prepare his mind and his heart for what's to come next. And while in the garden, do you know what Jesus' prayer was? God, I don't want to do what you've asked me to do. I don't want to go where you've asked me to go. I don't want to experience the pain and the suffering and the shame and the guilt. Make it go away. You're God. Why can't you fix it? Is there any other way, God? And after spending hours on his face, begging for mercy from his father, he stands up, walks to the front of the garden where he knows his life is about to change forever. And off in the distance, he sees his fiery torches. Two armies, a Roman army and the temple army, are walking into the garden. He hears the clatter of swords on armor. And Jesus, being the man, walks to the front of the crew. He knows what's happening. He says, hey, who are you looking for? He said, Jesus, the Nazarene. Without blinking an eye, he says, I am he. The statement was so powerful that it, the Bible says, John, who was there, said, hey, it knocked them back on their butts. Just the I am he knocks them back. And when they're shocked and they're stunned because they are like, what just happened? As they get to their feet, Jesus looks at them again and says, I am he. And as he's getting ready to put his hands out to surrender, not be arrested, Peter grabs a sword and swipes at one of the guard's ears, causing it to fall to the floor. And Jesus looks down some joker's ear and he picks it up and he says, you dropped this. I, I, would, I think that's what he said. And he heals it. So these guys, these armies, these guys have seen the face of battle. By one man uttering a sentence, they're knocked on their rears. And then he picks up a dude's ear like it's just lunch. And he's just like, here you go, bud. Not lunch, that was a really bad illustration. My bad on that. My bad, my bad. I want something. Picks it up like it's somebody's napkin. That's good. And hands it to him. Here you go, boss. And then he puts his hands out again to give up who he was to what they wanted. In the middle of the night, they march him to the temple's house. And I imagine, when the, or the, the high priest's house, the guy who's running the temple, I imagine the confusion as the guard gets here, he knocks on the high priest's door. He goes, uh, uh, boss, boss, we got Jesus. And he looks and he goes, did everything go pretty smoothly? Uh, uh, well, uh, mm, not really. Well, what happened? Well, when he said who he was, all of the guards were knocked on their backs just by his words. Oh, and then he picked up some dude's ear and put it right back on like it was no big deal. Like that's what he does on Tuesdays. The priest brings him in. 
And he asked a question so fascinating. He, he simply just simply asked this question. What have you been teaching? You've been, I've heard you're at the temple. What have you been teaching? And Jesus looks at this. He goes, you know what I've been teaching. You were there. Your spies were there. Your people are there. Just go ask anyone. It's not like I was doing it in secret. And at this moment, John says, this is what happens. One of the temple guards standing nearby backhands Jesus across the face. And he said, is that a way you answer a high priest? And Jesus, kind of shaking his jaw like he just got popped. He goes, if I said something untrue, why do you smack me? If I'm telling the truth, why are you smacking me? Without an answer to be had, the priests are furious. And they walk him to a guy named Pontius Pilate's house. Now, let me explain the relationship. Rome was running the, the Jewish town. Rome owned Jerusalem at that time. And the Jewish leaders had to operate under Roman rule. But Pilate's job was to keep the peace so Rome didn't have an issue with the town that was in. So the Jews had to operate by what Pilate told them to do. And so they wanted Jesus dead. And this is the interaction. Here, here's just how, how, oh my gosh, the, how crazy this situation is. The Jews walked, or the high priest walked Jesus all the way to Pilate's house and they drop him off at the front door. And Pilate goes, come on in. He goes, we're not allowed to come in. It's a rule. We can't come into your house on a Passover. They're getting ready to execute a man for no reason. But they won't enter a Roman citizen's house. And Pilate looks at him and goes, well, if you're not going to come in, what charge are you bringing against this man? They said, he claims to be a king. And Pilate, this was Pilate's response. Then take him away and judge him by your own law. And here the Jewish leaders tip their hands. They say, only Romans are permitted to execute someone. They didn't say try him. They didn't say hear him out. They just said, look, only Romans can kill somebody and we want the man dead. So I need you to sign off on this pilot or else we can't get our stuff done. And so Pilate looks at Jesus. He goes, are you a king? And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify the truth. All who love the truth will recognize what I say is truth. And Pilate asked this question, what is truth? The question we've been asking all week, is there truth? Is there absolute truth? Is there a way to know there's a standard to measure by? That tape measure we used on night one. And then Pilate came to this conclusion. I'm not doing anything. He's not guilty. But the, he could see the Jewish leaders getting so mad. And Pilate's job is to keep the peace so he came up with a plan. He's like, I get to free someone. He's like, surely you would want Jesus freed over this guy named Barabbas. And when he took them both out in front of the crowd that had now gathered in front of Pilate's house, they're like, who should I free? The Jewish leaders planted people in there to shout the messaging they wanted Pilate to hear. And so the, the planted people say, Barabbas, 
Barabbas. And the people around him kind of followed suit. A Barabbas chant broke out. And they released Barabbas. The Pilate doesn't want anything to do with murdering an innocent man. And so he decides to have him flogged. Flogging is basically uh, a Roman strategy to take people up to the point of death. It's actually known as 39 lashes minus one. The reason it's not known as 40 lashes and 39 lashes is they want to be one lash short, one swinging of the whip short of death. And so the Roman soldiers were actually trained in biology and anatomy and how the body is reacting so that they could look in and take someone right up to the verge and not kill them. So Pilate marches him back out in front of the people and they're like, is this enough? Are you happy with this? They shout, no. So he brings them back in and this is so fascinating. And he says, are you a king? And then, what, what, did I miss him? He says, are you a king? And Jesus stood still. He goes, don't you know I can kill you? He goes, you have no power over me. How baller is that? A guy who holds your life in his hands, he's like, you can't kill me. I'm giving my life up. And as he's standing in front of the people, they're chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate says, you take him and crucify him. I can't find him guilty. And here's the Jewish leaders. By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. And catch this. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever because he was looking in the face of a man that could be the son of God based off the reports he was getting. And so Pilate's trying to figure out how do I get away with this? I'm starting to believe he is who he says he is and I don't want to be guilty of killing him. But then the Jewish leaders put the screws to Pilate and put more pressure on him than he can handle. And they say this line right here. Pilate tried to release him and the Jewish leader shouted, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. For anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. Here's what the Jewish leaders are tempting Pilate with in the pressure that they're putting on. A friend of Caesar was simply a statement of you're going against Rome. And Pilate knew if enough information got back to Rome that he was going against the empire, he would be stripped of his authority and possibly murdered. And so Pilate wanted to believe But when they said, you're going to lose your earthly responsibilities, he just could not pull the trigger. And so he sent him off to be crucified. Now, crucifixion was the most painful execution they could think of at the time. In fact, they studied ways to help make people suffer. And crucifixion wasn't just an execution method. They could have killed people a million different ways, but they chose crucifixion for a very specific reason. It was an intimidation tactic used by Rome. 
In fact, they would leave bodies on crosses along the roads so that as people walked by the road or walked by the bodies, it would declare a message. It's like a billboard. Don't mess with Rome or this could be you. So the reason that the Jewish leaders wanted him crucified isn't because they wanted him dead. They wanted a billboard. Don't mess with the temple. Don't mess with our rules. Don't mess with our rituals. Don't mess with our approach to God. Or you could be next. Crucifixion wasn't about killing him. It was about intimidating people to follow their rules and their religion. And then Jesus says something from the cross after he carries his own cross up to Golgotha. Hanging there six hours. He cries out, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he died. Silence. The disciples, the people that followed him for years, the masses, the people that celebrated him walking into a city a few days earlier, were all gone. Because while Jesus may have had other people walk out of the grave, no one else will. He can't walk himself out of the grave. He's dead. Three days later, Mary went back because remember we talked about the Sabbath, the rule that the Jewish leaders had. You could not work on a certain day. You could not do a certain amount of activities. And so they never got to prepare Jesus's body going into the Sabbath. So on a Sunday morning, Mary shows up all by herself. Do you know why she went by herself? Because no one else thought Jesus would be alive on this moment. No one else believed Jesus was coming out of the grave. Mary went to bury him, not to see a resurrection. Do you know where the disciples were when Mary was out going and preparing the body? Locked in a room because they thought they were next. They thought the run was over. They thought they were done. And Mary walks in to the scene and sees the tomb with a stone rolled away. And she freaks. She runs all the way back to where the disciples are. She bangs on the door, says, Jesus' body is gone. Peter and John run to the tomb. And they walk in. They see the linens that once wrapped Jesus' body folded in a corner. And this is what John said. The disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Here's the thing. He didn't see a body. He didn't see Jesus resurrected. He just saw the empty tomb and he was like, that's it. He did it. He told us he would do it. I didn't think he would do it. And then he turned around and he did it. They believed. And what I want you to catch is this. Jesus said one phrase from the cross that I could not shake. It's the phrase, it is finished. And I used to think that it was his pain was finished. His suffering was finished. But do you know what Jesus was declaring? My singular purpose on this earth 
is now completed right before he breathed his last breath. And so you got to ask yourself the question, well, what's Jesus' purpose? Why did Jesus walk the earth? What's the reason? John already told us that in John 3. And it's this. He sets it up with John 3, 16. God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have every eternal life. Here's Jesus' purpose statement. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus' perfect deal, or Jesus' perfect plan and purpose was to put two deals on the table for each of us. There's sin, there's a payment. And you can pay for it, or I can pay for it. But somebody has to pay for it. And here's the cool part about Jesus' purpose. It says that Jesus didn't come in to judge the world, but to save the world. Meaning he's not coming in to tell you how bad you are, shame you, or really make you feel guilty about who you are. He came to save you. This is the equivalent of, let's say you and I were on a boat and you fell overboard. And you're like, I can't swim. So I grab a life raft and I put it in my hands. And then I think to myself, how dumb can you be? It's a raging sea. You're too close to the edge. What were you thinking? You don't need that. You need someone to throw you a life raft and care enough about you to get you back in the boat. Jesus isn't out to make you feel bad about where you've been, but to offer you a better life for where you're going. That was the point and the offer of Jesus. And so what Jesus came to do is to pay for your sins so you don't have to. That was Jesus' singular purpose. What Jesus came to do is to pay for your sins so you don't have to. So there's two deals on the table. And he lets you decide. Here's the fascinating part of the whole crucifixion story. Three people saw the same event, same man, same experience, and had three separate responses to it. First, the high priest. They heard the teaching, they saw the miracles, and they said, we'll do our own thing. We'll trust ourselves to fix ourselves. And they chose not to believe. The second was Pontius Pilate. He believed, he got scared when he thought this could be God. But he could not pull himself away from what the world offered him in that moment. The power, the authority, the prestige. And then there were the disciples who simply saw and believed and followed. And so at the end of the week, as we're closing out this deal, the question is, you've shown up. You've been open to being wrong. You've asked questions. We've investigated Jesus. And now it's time for you to make a decision. You have a rock in your hand that you carried around representing only one of the sins that you've done. The question is, what deal do you want to take? What's the offer you want to walk away with? Do you want to take the priest's 
approach and say, now nah, we'll just do our own thing. Pilate's approach, intellectually I get it, but I just can't follow. Or the disciples' approach. And so today, I want to offer you something. I want to offer you yourself the greatest gift that you can give yourself. Clarity. Clarity about what you believe. Clarity about who you want to be. And clarity about the offer of Jesus. And so underneath your seat is a card. The band's going to come up, and they're going to play some music. And usually, if you've been to church camp or you've been around these kind of circles, someone will give you, say the statement, hey, I'm going to give you a chance to make a decision. The truth is, is some people make that decision. They say, I want to follow Jesus. But when you don't make a decision, you make a decision. And so all I want to do is give you the ability to get clear on what you believe and which direction you want to go with your life. Now, this isn't the end of your life. This isn't the only time you get to make the decision. But I want to offer you one of three choices. Pass on the deal. Say thanks, but no thanks. I'll do it on my own. Say, I, I get it. There's just too much of my life that I'm not willing to walk away from. Or, I'm in. I've investigated, I've looked at it, I've been open to being wrong. So my question is for you, what decision do you wanna make? And so here's what I want you to do on the card. There's the pens and they're passing them out, but here's what you're gonna do. This isn't for anyone else, this is just for you. And I'll tell you why I have you do this on a card. There's something different when we get things out of our head and out of our heart and onto paper and see it in front of us. So all I want you to do is write down what decision you're going to make today with your life. If you're not ready, you're not ready. And I'm okay with that. Remember, Jesus doesn't put pressure, it's an invitation. If you think this is all bogus, you're like, hey, thanks, bro. Appreciate you. I'm not in on the God thing. It's your decision. Or you can write down whether or not you want to take the deal. And so here's what I want you to do. If you've made this decision before, write down, I'm taking the deal. I'm just putting it down on paper that I took it. Today doesn't have to be the first time, but I want you to write down, I've already taken it. Everyone else, I want you to write down what you decide. Thanks, but no thanks. I believe, but I just can't follow. Or I take it. Yes, sir. That's a great question. I would just put it on the floor. Yes. No, you may not. So here's, 
here's, here's the thing. We're going to put on some music. If you decide to take the deal or you have taken the deal, all I want you to do is take your rock and drop it in one of these buckets. The rock that you wrote your thing on, the rock that separates you, the rock of sin that keeps you from where you are. Not yet. So as the band plays, write down what you wanna do. And then if you take the deal, leave your rock. Because it's no longer your responsibility. So the band, We'll take it away for a couple minutes and then I'll tell you what we're going to do next. not ready, there's no pressure. You can keep investigating. So what you wrote down on your card is simply where you are today. Doesn't mean that you can't do something different tomorrow. It's just you taking inventory of your life going, this is the direction I wanna go. Now, some of you have made the decision to do this for the very first time. And we wanna celebrate that with you. The first time that you've kind of investigated and said, hey, I, I, think, I think this is real. I think this is the real deal. And so here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask you to take a bold step. 
if it is your first time deciding to follow Jesus, believe and follow, first time you haven't done it in the past, would you be brave enough to stand up? My man. Stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. That's awesome, thank you. What we want you to know is we are the biggest fans of what you decided to do. And so would you do me a favor? Because we've been a camp family all week. And when families have big events, we celebrate them. And so if you're standing or you're sitting next to someone or you're close to them, would you just put your hand on their shoulder and I'm going to pray for them really fast. Father God, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for the bigness. It's so cool to listen to the clanking sound of rocks representing our sin coming out of our hands and laying at the feet of a cross. And so God, we just ask that in these people's lives that are standing, you do so much more than we could ever imagine. And God, I pray for courage and boldness. I pray for them to feel your presence and I pray for them have great people in their lives to walk them through the steps of discovering what it means to be a follower of you. God, do something great in each person's life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated. So one of the things that you may or may not know is that anytime someone gives their life to Christ, anytime someone makes a decision to follow, there is a throwdown in heaven. And so I asked the band, after watching you all sing the first song, I said, can you do that one again? But, and so, Here's what I want you to do. And here's why I wanted this song. I want you to own the words where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if you have dropped your rock and left it here at the camp, you're free. That's the promise of the sacrifice of Christ. And so you're not singing a song with a, cool vibe or, you know, it's got a great line, bass line or whatever they say in music stuff. I don't know. You're declaring over yourselves the life that you have chosen for yourself. And maybe you're not ready to make that decision. That's okay. I want you to celebrate just as much because that's still on the table for you. And it doesn't have to be today. It may be decades down the road. But that offer, that deal doesn't come off the table ever, regardless of where you've been or what you do. 
So just never forget that as you go forward and go, Jesus, I'm just not ready. And do you know what he says? Okay, when you are, I'll be there. And so, as we like to say, when you graduate in the year 2000, let's party like it's 1999. Are you all ready? Let's go.